0: Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app available at your app store. We hope you're moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Hey, church, the first five minutes of this podcast will be a fun game show type interview with my wife and I uh, to intro our Valentine's Day sermon um, here at Prodigal Church Fresno. And so we thought it'd be fun to uh, share it also with uh, our podcast listeners. And so, it may not work as well without the video, so feel free to check out the entire video clip on YouTube or at ProdigalChurchFresno.com. We hope you enjoy. Hey Church.
1: John and Sarah here, and we are gonna play the not-so-newlywed game. The
0: not-so-newlywed because we are not-so-newly or wed. We are wed. We're wed, but it's not new. No. 14 years together dated five and a half years uh, mm-hmm. out of high school and then um, engaged for nine months and then married for a decade and a half. So it's been amazing. Fun fact, when I- <laughs> Super fun. When I asked her to marry me, I rode up on a white horse wearing a knight in shining armor costume.
1: And then my mom was like, Sarah, John's at the door. And so then I was like like, and normally John would just come in, like, come in the house. And so it was weird that she was like, John's at the door. Like, he wanted to see me outside. So I was like, oh, that's probably, like, stuff's going on at church. you probably wants to talking about that. Like, I remember saying that on my way Some out. Some things never change. And, um, and I walked out and John was saying, Princess Sarah, Princess Sarah, with a sword. Did you have a sword? Or am I making that up? Uh,
0: I feel like uh, you had... I had a sword, yeah.
1: And... <clears throat> And I was like, oh my God. And then, (laughs) and so then he dismounted the horse. And that's when you
0: almost knocked myself unconscious. Yeah.
1: What's that called?
0: It's the breastplate, like a breastplate of righteousness, like we talked about at church a couple weeks ago. It's a Mm -hmm. breastplate. Totally
1: remember that. And he, and it knocked, it hit him, but I didn't know this until later. Yeah. He played it off.
0: (laughs) Yes. And then I'm smiling the whole time, but I'm wearing a helmet so no one can see my face and then
1: and then I, then I did, oh helmet. I took
0: off the helmet and I, then he I dropped it like it's hot to one knee
1: and he gave a whole spiel I remember. and that. you said you wanted to spend the rest of your life with me <laughs> I said
0: I want to spend the rest of my life with me
1: so the rules for the not so newlywed game is that there will be questions asked and if it's a question about me John will Write what he thinks the answer is, and then I will say my answer and we will compare to see if he is right.
0: Uh, Sarah, what is your go to outfit? Like, your your go to outfit is like, um, you yes. know, it's, it's what you always go to. <laughs> you
1: know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I definitely know what you're talking okay. about. You
0: okay, okay. So I'm going to go. I next. don't
1: even think, I think honestly, anybody could answer this. Like, every viewer at home could answer this question because I don't mix it up. I wear this. Well, all that I'm not even wearing it now, so like obviously I mix it up occasionally, but typically I wear the same thing pretty much every day. Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: okay. Um. Go ahead.
1: Leggings, a band shirt, and like not always, but sometimes a flannel around my waist. Oh, a flannel or around the waist. I forgot. What would you say? I said. Oh, baggie, pants.
0: Baggy band shirt and then yoga pants. The the Y looks like a four,
1: but <laughs> it's foga pants. <laughs> Forga pants.
0: Forga pants. So, where was your first date? Ah, our first date. I remember like it was uh it was yesterday. It wasn't yesterday. It was like twenty years ago. But it was at Blackbeard's Family Fun Center.
1: Blackbeards.
0: Blackbeards. R. matey Blackbeards. Was pretty good okay. and,
1: and a fun fact about that night is we i mean it was i guess it was like a date it was a it triple. Wasn't like,
0: it was a triple date a, a date it was with like a two day other day friends
1: and at the end of the night john pushed me to the ground
0: no it, it wasn't it was you know like when you're like when you're kind of being flirting and stuff and you kind of do like a little booty bump where you just bump hips you know like we were doing that and we were being playful like it was flirty and so then she kind of gave me a and I was like, oh, okay. And so then I kind of reared back and I went, well, pow. <laughs> <Literally>. I, re- <laughs> I reared back with my rear. Who's the funniest? Um, what do you think?
1: It's obviously me.
0: She thinks she is. So I think I got Most it right. people think it's the funniest. I think funniest. I got it right though. Uh, and the final question um, is for me, is Sarah a pessimist, an optimist, or a realist? Honestly. She, I would say this.
1: I don't know how to spell this word.
0: Okay. that's. (laughs) I would say that you would say you're a realist, but I think you're a pessimist.
1: I would say, first and foremost, I'm a realist. And then quickly followed up by being pessimist.
0: Lots of S's in that pessimist, (laughs) pessimist, pessimist. Thanks so much for joining us on the first episode of the Not So Newlywed Game. First and last and also also likely the last. uh, Preach that sermon, John. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day, prodigal. Kind of before we dive in, I'd like to highlight a few things that we're pretty excited about. Next week at 10 a.m. at Fort Washington Elementary School, we have our next outdoor service. Uh, Many of you guys know that we normally meet at Bullard High School's Performing Arts Theater, but Fresno Unified is still not allowing any outside organizations to use their facilities. And so we're going to be doing outdoor services starting next week, every other week leading up to Easter. And then at Easter and beyond, we're looking to meet every week and adding um, student ministries and children's ministries. And so we're hoping that the weather cooperates as we begin to gather together outdoors more consistently. Uh, We're still gonna be having online services um, available each weekend uh, as well. And then next week is also the first Sunday of our brand new sermon series called Life. And we're going to be having Life groups that coincide with our Life sermon series. And so we've got groups available for couples on Tuesday night, women on Wednesday night, and men early morning um, at 6.30 on Thursdays. And you can find all that information on our website, we encourage you to head to our website at click the Life Groups tab, and you can sign up there. Well, it is uh, Valentine's Day, and what better thing to talk about than love? Um, and today we're going to look at what love is not, and what love is. Uh, I think of the 90s Saturday Night Live skit, uh, What is Love? That, that, that song, "What is Love?" is a question that has not only haunted, um, you, know, Chris Catan um, and Will Farrell back then, but also haunts us today. and has been haunting people for thousands of years. What is love? It's been written about in story and in song. Uh, love has started wars and ended wars, and it is at the core of what we all desire in the deepest parts of who we are: love. So we got to be clear. What is love and what love isn't? Now, if I were to ask you to define the word love, I'm convinced that many of us would have a really difficult time describing it, right? Which is very interesting because we live in a world that is saturated and completely fixated on this concept of love, yet we struggle to define it. No topic is written about more, sung about as often as the concept of love. Love makes the world go round. Love is all you need. So what is it? They say about half of all 7th, 8th, and ninth graders claim to, at some point, have once been or recently been in love. So by the time we're adults, uh, we should be pros, right? We should be Dr. Love. Uh, The problem is that we label all kinds of things that are love that actually aren't love. We're not even sure what the word means. And so we're going to look at today what love is and what love is not. And so number one in your notes is this, love is not an undefinable mystery. If you were to ask somebody on the street, hey, what's love? Someone might say something clever like, well, love is this, this unknown, the great unknown mystery. It transcends human language. It's, it's really undefinable. Well, once a label becomes undefinable, then its function becomes meaningless right, it ceases to have any use anymore. Like, let's create another label, let's make up our own word, let's make up the word uh, gooseblab. Gooseblab, it's a, it's a wonderful word, and it's not something that I can define, I can only express it. And so I can say, hi there, you sitting on the couch watching this, I'm so glad you're watching online because I, I'm just, I just wanna be really vulnerable with you right now. Ever since I can remember, I knew deep in my heart that I gooseblabbed you and I hope that one day as you get to, to know me, you'll be able to find it in your heart to gooseblab me as well. Isn't that special? Now, what did I just say? Well, absolutely nothing. Unless you on the couch have the same definition of gooseblab as I do, uh, we're, not, we're communicating nothing at all. It's a useless word. To say that love is undefinable is just, it's just that thing, it's just that, that mystery when you know when you feel it well when we use a word like that we should stop because language is based on shared definitions so let's have the courage to push forward let's press on towards a healthy correct definition of what love is and what it is not and the stakes are high on this one right if love means so much if love is the center of so much we uh, desire and long for and exist for, we should probably understand what it means. But what happens when a 14-year-old girl runs up to her mom and she says, Mom, how do you know it's real love? Because when Billy holds my hand, I just get all warm and fuzzy inside and I get tingly. And I just, I, I just wonder, you know? How do you know it's real love? And what is the mom saying to the 14-year-old daughter? She says, well, when it's real, you'll know. That's what parents say when they don't know what to tell their kids, right? When gooseblab hits you, you you'll know. Another reason we lack the definition of love is that we overburden the word, right? We use it too broadly. We we use it to describe too many things. I love my wife, and I also love cinnamon rolls and milk duds. When we use it too broadly, it again serves to confuse the real, true, deep meaning, and we're not sure what someone's saying when they mean the word love. Number two, love is not an emotion or a feeling. Love is not an emotion or a feeling. Man, that sold a lot of books, made a lot of money at the movies, produced some major hits on the radio, but it's just not true. Love is not a feeling or an emotion. Now, there was a research experiment done not many years ago, uh, and there was this bridge in Vancouver, and at this bridge, uh, there's this beautiful scenery, and then there was a high bridge, it was pretty dangerous, and then a lower bridge. And what they did was they put a female experimenter um, at the end of the bridge, and they interviewed guys who were hiking across it. And this was the kind of bridge that would give you a bit of an adrenaline rush. Uh, And the lower bridge was much safer and the higher bridge uh, produced a lot more adrenaline. And so when they got to the other side, they were given a questionnaire. And one of the things that they were looking for, but they didn't let the test subjects know this, that they had the men write stories on neutral pictures. They would show them a neutral picture and they were looking for an amount of sexual charge that was in their psyche. Do they use certain words or scenarios? asking them to write a picture, or to write a story about this very neutral picture. And they found that the gentleman who had crossed over the the higher bridge, the more dangerous bridge, wrote stories that were much more charged with sexual energy than the men who had crossed on the lower bridge. What they also found was that they transferred their sexual excitement to the female experimenter herself. She was an attractive female experimenter, In both cases, it was the same woman, and this is how they finished the experiment. She gave each person her phone number, and she said that the results of this survey will be published in a few weeks. Feel free to call me and see how the overall survey went. And what they found that the guys who crossed over the lower, safer bridge, a number of them called to hear about the experiment, Um, but those who had crossed on the higher, the more dangerous, the more uh, adrenaline-inducing bridge, Uh, called more, not just a little bit more, but eight times more. Supposedly because they were interested in the results of the survey. When they tried this experiment again, this time with a male experimenter at the end of the bridge, guess how many men called back? Zero. You see, we give too much credit to our emotions or to our feelings inside. What some of us call love at first sight might be a burrito that you have for lunch, okay? Our feelings and emotions are deceptive. They're temporary. It's amazing how whether it's endorphins or adrenaline, whether circumstances or emotions, if we tie these to our hearts, if we tie these to love, there can be some pretty destu- destructive consequences. We're, we're very easily manipulated people. We don't like to think that we are. If we label these things love, then we don't have to feel bad. If we end up blaming love for our own selfish decisions, we're wrong. That's not love. It never is. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. This way of viewing love is so prevalent, and sometimes we don't even notice it, but we've all seen a scene on TV where a man and a woman are close and they begin to embrace and one of them says, because of how you make me feel, because the way you're looking at me right now, I know that this is love, it's so right. Listen, just because it feels right, doesn't mean it is right. Love is not doing what feels right, love is doing what's right in spite of how you may feel. Love always is the way of sacrifice. Love in the scriptures is never an emotion or a feeling. Now, the problem isn't our emotions. They can be wonderful. They're a beautiful gift. They can motivate us to do all kinds of things. The problem is not with emotions. It's with mislabeling them and calling them love. Love is not emotion. Emotions is like a thermometer, Right? A thermometer uh, goes up and down according to its surroundings. If it's cold, it goes down. If it's up, it goes hot, right, it goes higher. That is what our emotions do. They go up and down according to our surroundings. That is not love. Uh, love is more like a thermostat. Love sets the temperature. It changes the atmosphere around it. There's a word for a thermometer that always stays the a certain temperature. Broken, right? Emotions go up and down. They go ebbs and flows. They're good. They're great. They're wonderful. They're not love. Love sets the temperature. Emotions are designed to be responders to your environment, not the leaders. They're the caboose. They're not driving the train. Love drives the train. Love is not an undefinable mystery. Love is not emotions or feelings. Love is, and write this down, the Jesus-looking choice to relate to someone as infinitely valuable. Love is the Jesus-looking choice to relate to someone as infinitely valuable. Jesus shows us what love is. The Bible was written in three different languages, um, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And each of those languages has different words to describe love. Many words that can describe the different nuances of what we only call love. The Hebrew words, raham, means to love deeply. It's a, it's a parental kind of love. Raham. Then we have the, the word dode. Dode, this is the sensual kind of love. Song of Solomon, the wife, Solomon's wife says, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love, your dode, is better than wine. Then there's ahava, to love, to desire, to delight, to be fond of, to be beloved. And then finally, hesed, unfailing love, mercy, kindness. Hesed presupposes the existence of a relationship between parties involved, but where no formal relationship has been recognized. The person exercising hesed has chosen to treat the person as if a relationship or covenant had existed. And it is the self-sacrificing kind of love that God shows for us the Greek words are similar. We have the word phileo. This is the friendship love, right? One phileo is someone who has found qualities that appeal to them, okay? Uh, this is why, where we get the word Philadelphia, who's called the, the city of brotherly love, right? It's a friendship love, it's a brotherly love. And then there's eros. Eros is that central love. It's the, it's the equivalent to dode in the Hebrew. It's, it's sensual, it's where we get the word erotic. And then finally, we have agape, which is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew hesed, the unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And whenever the scriptures speak of God's love for humanity, it is always hesed, it is always agape. That's what love is. But what does love do? Though love is invisible, it is not imperceptible. Right? Think about your own favorite novels and movies. When a writer or director wants to show that, that love exists between characters, what is written into the story? And I would submit to you that there are three primary ways that they show us that love is present. And let's use some famous movies to demonstrate this, okay? First, love sends. This is what love does. First, love sends. It cannot sit still. Love moves. Love expresses action. You know that love is present because the lover initiates. In the movie, The Princess Bride, The Beautiful Princess Buttercup, she declares to her captor, My Wesley will come for me. How does she know? Because what they shared was true love. The princess understood that the lover always moves to be with the beloved. Love initiates. Love sparks up conversations. Love breaks into song. Love recites poetry. Love sends letters. Love crosses oceans. Love sends flowers. Love is action. Love sends. I promise you, you will never see a young man after suddenly realizing he's in love, return to playing his video game. Doesn't happen. Why? No, he he will rise from the couch and he will move because love initiates. Second, love sacrifices. Love gives all for the sake of the other, for the sake of the beloved. Jack will freeze to death in the icy waters of the Titanic so that Rose may continue on. In Frozen, Anna will throw herself in front of Han's sword to protect her sister. Why? Because love is sacrifice. Love will always sacrifice. And then three, love stays. Love delights in the presence of the beloved. Love will stay even when it is hard staying. Love will stay even when it is easier to move on. We declare this on our wedding vows. I promise to love you for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness or in health. Why do we say this? Because we understand that true love is a commitment to the other. Even if life gets really complicated and really difficult and you're stuck in a house with this person for nearly a year because of a global pandemic, love stays. This is why in the movie The Notebook, Noah stays with Allie to read to her their love story every single day, though she herself does not remember it. In 51st Dates, Adam Sandler's character will continue to romance Drew Barrymore's character, even though she suffers from short-term memory loss. And every day he works to make her fall in love with him again and again and again. Love stays, even when it's hard, even when everyone else walks out. Love sends, love sacrifices, love stays. Movies and novels will continue to illustrate these attributes of love because we all know that when we see these actions, what love does, we know that love is present. Just this past week, uh, my son, who's in first grade, um, had an assignment. And what the assignment was to define love, to say what love is and what love does. And this is what he wrote. Love is my favorite thing. Love is about being kind. Love is about helping people that need help. Love is about sharing things with people. Love is about finding things for people. Love is about saying thank you and you're welcome. Love is about hugging people that you love. It's his favorite thing. And it was always tied to actions, not just feelings. At the end of the Bible, uh, the Apostle John, who is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This intimate relationship that John had with Jesus that was different than Jesus' relationship with any other person on earth. This is what John declares in 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. To fully understand and live by those three words, perhaps the most beautiful words in the human language, God is love. To live by that would solve the countless problems that we face today as 21st century Christians. As Christians in the church today, Understanding and living by the truth that God is love, that the DNA of the divine is love, would solve our problems. God is asking us to show the world that he is love by what we do. And he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done, right? In Christ, we see that there was once a carpenter who did not overcharge for his work. We see a physician who healed the sick for free Once there was a man who fed people and didn't charge them. And you know what we did to him? We crucified him. And there will be times as a Christ follower that you will feel unappreciated. That you will feel taken for granted. You will not feel loved like you should be. And when that happens, you should love others anyway. Because God is love. Love is not the verb God does. Love is the noun God is. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself up. He was the absolute expression of what love is. He was Hesed, He was agape, demonstrating love in its fullest form so that we too may demonstrate love in all that we do. God, I pray in Jesus' name that our decisions, that our choices, that our choices in life, that our choices with how we spend our money would all go through the, the filter of love of self-sacrifice, of agape, of hesed, of Jesus. That we would love those who don't deserve and that we would still forgive even when we feel so wronged. That we would show and share your love because you tell us in Romans 5.8 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Jesus. Let us reflect on that great love together. In Jesus' name.